0: Hello, and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. Today, I am joined by Junaid Ahmed. Junaid, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Jonathan. So happy to be here. Thank you for the invite.
0: Before we get started, could you give folks a little bit of background about who you are and what you do?
1: Absolutely. So I am a long-term user experience designer. Uh, I grew up just assembling computers, putting software together, and designing applications, designing websites. And I grew up Doing that because it was, it was one of the passions that I had. I saw my dad doing it and I was like, hey, that sounds and looks like a lot of fun. <laughs> and over time, I got introduced to technology, introduced to cameras, introduced to like a lot of different things. And I put them all into my passion and put it all together. So not only was I exploring it, but, but, but I was also experimenting with the different tech, with the different cameras and photos, and I think one of the things that really helped me grow was the communities that I was part of, the communities that enabled me to hone in that skill and and really learn more of uh, what it takes to have a good lens or or good lighting and good photography, and it just kept going in in that direction. You know, as we grow, you know, we we found. We find ourselves in different spaces, and it just so happened that during the past few years with the pandemic, um, we were all stuck in home, and all of those passions and technologies that I learned enabled me to put into put into a fair effort, where you know I created my own little home studio, and now I teach people how to set up their home studios. I also have a podcast, and the podcast was basically the lead into why even built a home studio.
0: So that's a wild transition. I think probably a lot of people listening sort of identify with the kind of UX application development stuff and like moving into sort of a home studio guru type of position. That's pretty wild. Like what, was that as organic as it sounded or was there like a big, you know, maybe the pandemic, was there a big pivot mentally
1: and what, what went into that decision? Sure, so the pivot, not. Didn't just happen during the pandemic, I've been taking photos. In fact, my very first film camera, um, photo camera was probably um, given to me back in 1989. So I've been behind cameras for for a long time. So going from film camera to digital cameras to then DSLRs. And, you know, so it's been a progression over the years. I've, I've done short films and documentaries for the past decade. So it enabled me to think from that perspective of, okay, what's the Hollywood I looking at? You know, you look at, I took a few courses, applied into my uh, into my short films, and they talk a lot about blocking and staging. And I'm like, what is this blocking? What are you, what are you talking about blocking? <laughs> Essentially, you're blocking out the room to only shoot what the camera wants to see or what you want to show to the audience. So I brought that terminology and I said, hey, wait, as we're sitting in front of these cameras, we're literally blocking out the rest of the messy stuff in our rooms so that you can just show the picture that, you know, represents you the best way.
0: Wow. Okay. So so what's the importance of that, do you think, for people like, uh, like maybe UX designers, application developers, mm-hmm. you know, uh, those sorts of folks who are maybe almost certainly remote, and almost certainly a soloist or maybe a small, small team. Yeah. Uh, who, why should they care about, you know, blocking? Why should they care about a really good studio setup? Why not just use the, the laptop camera in their laundry room? You know what? What are the benefits? Do you think, or what do you, is the importance of having like a professional looking? Uh, I mean, this is this is audio podcast, but like sure. I'm looking at your setup, and it's like yeah. like super great, like super good lighting. You have got like multiple cameras set up. It's crazy. <laughs> so like that seems like a lot of work. But what what do you think the benefits are for people like that?
1: So the number one benefit of this is that it immediately boosts your confidence, and it's the same as you know when we. When we used to meet in person, and and that stuff is happening, again, with the conferences coming up, Social Media Marketing World, PodFest, what are people doing? They're putting on their best clothes, their best $1,000 Italian suit, showing up on these events. So essentially, when you level up your video quality, you're doing the same thing because we have been meeting in Zoom calls for a very long time. I mean, if there was a number of 10,000 hours, we've already crossed that number because (laughs) we've spent so much time. So that's what it does. I mean, a lot of the times you'll see in meetings, people turn off their cameras. Why? Because they don't want to look at themselves. That's the other thing that the Zoom uh, world has changed is now you can see yourself. When you're in person, you could show up in your slacks, you you could show up in any clothes and not really worry about it because, because you're not looking at yourself. But as soon as the Zoom started happening, people are, you know, they're more becoming aware of what they look like. In fact, there was a study done in 2020 where there were more people going back to the plastic surgeons than they had in the past decade.
0: Wow, because they've been staring because... at themselves so much. Exactly. Wow. So that's a really surprising answer, actually. I was not expecting you to say confidence. And so if we assume that for someone who's selling their services, especially remotely, that confidence is important, then that's a pretty persuasive argument, I would say. Um, what? So we're going to talk about a bunch of different things today, including your book, the fact that you self-published it, your experience with that. But before we do that, let's stick with the video stuff. What would you give to someone like that? Uh, you know it's like what advice would you give or tips would you give to someone what are the maybe top three things you can do to level up your game like without breaking the bank or without overcomplicating your life because one of the you know i have a a background in music Mm -hmm. and i can get pretty complicated with the audio stuff i've never been good with lights and cameras and things but but the audio uh, uh signal chain can get nuts and it becomes inconvenient very quickly it becomes unrealistic "Ah, i'm not gonna plug in all that stuff i'll just flip my laptop open and then so you've got all this gear but you don't use Mm it can't leave it set up the kids are running around the dogs trip over the cord you know so so practically speaking what can you say Mm -hmm. uh, to someone who works from home and has you know maybe a couple hundred bucks to spend but they want something simple that just works
1: so the number thing that i tell people to do is, you know, analyze your room, figure out where the lights and windows and doors are in your room, because those are going to be the number one distractor for somebody watching your video. If there's people walking in and you don't care, you know, yes, the software does enable us to blur the background, but it does a very shitty, yeah. <laughs> sorry, mind my language, right. does a very horrible job of, you know, blocking that out. Mm-hmm. But if you were to really start at a budget level figure out what where those things are in your shot and then remove them you know change your room around change your desk positioning around or where the camera is looking and i had to go through this myself because when we when i initially moved in this house my desk was actually where my bookshelf is right now and i said oh this is a nice little nook the camera's you know the desk is going to look nice but when i turned the camera on 3 years later I saw these huge windows in my background because, yeah. well, I didn't think of those things. <laughs> so those are the first thing, you know. It remove those lights and and doors from your shots if you can. Mm-hmm. Number two, now so far we haven't spent any money. We just move stuff around. Number two, you want to get a good source of light, a big box light, or with some diffusion and some grid is going to, you know, take you a very long way, and it's gonna present you in the best light possible because just literally. like yeah literally right and that's why I call it talent lighting so you know focus on the lights that are shining on you so that you can show up because we want to help the camera we want to make sure that it's getting enough light to you know even you know depixelate your your image so mm-hmm. that would be number 2 cool what about sound sound is the most important when it comes to studio because if you cannot hear my audio, we've, we've literally lost all communication yeah. capability, right? So audio is is, is one of the, the most important things that I recommend. If you can't spend any, any money on lights or cameras or anything, get a really good microphone because that's going to make sure that you sound and appear confident. Because the, the more broad that sound is, the more authority it claims as well.
0: Yeah, I believe that's true like the the radio DJ
1: voice you know it's mm-hmm.
0: it sounds like that for a reason they hire those people for a reason um, okay cool so so those are some good practical tips for folks who are trying to level up their you know zoom game um, I am a huge fan of uh, of the combination a combination of things like podcasts and mailing lists and webinars and and these sorts of things for folks who are trying to build their authority you need to put yourself out there somehow you could do it in person like old school and speak at conferences but that is very expensive and uh, not very conducive to you know a family lifestyle it's you know it's for some people it's not for other people so bang for the buck wise i think that uh, putting your ideas in the world in both written and spoken form mm-hmm. uh, will really benefit from Uh, let's say you've got a youtube channel or a podcast or you're you're really active with like instagram stories or whatever or maybe even TikTok i don't know and and immediately uh the sort of level of professionalism will immediately i like the i like the confidence and authority though it's because it's to me it's not about like look how good i am at video production Mm -hmm. because sometimes i feel like that can almost backfire it looks too slick or it looks too you know It's not what we're here for when we're when we're looking to you know have somebody do a screencast of how to use blender something like that Mm -hmm. so uh, i think you can go overboard but 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 the confidence and authority that come from like you said like you would get dressed up in person like you're kind of getting dressed up in the digital world in a way that uh, i think confers more authority so for folks who are either podcasting audio or video um, take even some small steps like rearranging your room and, uh, getting a a decent mic. You don't have to go nuts A couple hundred Mm -hmm. bucks would probably be plenty to, you know, be better than your, your, your dangling AirPods mic or whatever it's called. Um, okay, cool. So I think that's probably, probably preaching to the choir more or less. Let's talk a little bit about this, uh, book that you just released. So Mm -hmm. it is published now, right? Yes, it is. And what's the uh, what's it called? Tell us about the book.
1: It's called Mastering iPhone Video Production. Cool.
0: What if I'm an Android guy?
1: <laughs> well, the cool part is I. There's a lot of philosophy. There's a lot of um, what do you call it? Industry techniques or or best practices that I've listed there. The reason I've mentioned iPhone and not an Android is because I don't have direct interaction or experience with the device but the in the information and knowledge in there is quite universal because the apps that i mentioned in uh in the book some are some are iphone specific but there are there's a few of them that are on available on both platforms cool and what's the who's the book for wow i love that question now <laughs> the the book is for literally anybody looking to get started with video right we think oh we need we need a red camera, a really nice microphone. Well, yes, eventually you might go in that direction, depending on your expertise and who you're working with. But I think the most important thing is to get started. And sometimes we just overthink and overthink. And there's a specific word that I can't remember. But <laughs> procrastinate. <laughs> yeah, procrastinate. You 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 know you you analyze. You, you know, you become your. Analysis and paralysis, or something like that, mm-hmm. and you do that, and you forget why you're even doing it. So I, I like to refocus on why you're actually doing. Is it. because you want to share a story, you want to share a message. You're you're cr- creating these memories that you can then embarrass your kids <laughs> when they're getting married. So there's there's so many different ways. In fact, there was a ad that um, Apple played a few almost 10 years ago hmm. where they're going to a Christmas party and then this kid is like always on his phone and they're like, what is this kid doing? You know, he, you can always see him in the background. He's doing this on that. But then towards the end of the, this short film, they show the video that he created on his iPhone hmm. and this video was so heart, heartwarming. Everybody was like, oh my God, that's what he was doing. So that kind of inspired me into Hey, we have these powerful thousand dollar smartphones and video cameras in our hands why not use them to the best of their ability and get ahead of the curve in building that muscle of documenting your journey documenting what it is that you're going through
0: mm, okay cool and what so for someone who's just wants to get started with video, what kinds of things are they going to learn from the book? So maybe, I mean, like you said, everybody's probably got some experience with zoom now, but what, you know, what are these, do you think it's folks who are, you know, like me and they're maybe selling some kind of coaching or consulting and they're, they're not, they're not an influencer. They're not trying to sell ads or, or make ad money from YouTube. Um, is it more for people like that or is it for, do you think it's just broadly applicable to anybody who wants to kind of like, uh, have this, I mean, what would you call it? It's like a low, kind of like a low budget, low maintenance, high quality
1: video experience. I think so. I mean, it, it is low budget. It is something that we, you know, we use this device for almost everything. So why not? It also create content for you. Now it could be for all of those, uh, things you mentioned, you know, it could be for course creation. I've actually know some people who've used an iPhone or an Android to create their course videos because the camera is really great that the lenses on there and the the sensors is really great, but I want to take it from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. So yes, you can have a professional looking video studio setup, but then you also want to create authentic content from your smartphone. Just Mm -hmm. to show people, Hey, I'm just like everybody else. And this is my little path. So, uh, my friend Ken Okazaki calls it the Will Smith effect (laughs) where Will Smith's got, you know, he's got the mobile phone videos and then he's got the professional high quality films that we've all watched and grow. So you gotta have both, um, to not only showcase your authority and your, your confidence, but also your authenticity. From the content that you create create on your smartphones. Interesting. Is that a topic in the book? That is not a topic in the book, but okay. But it's it's just... something that I've I've learned over time, right? So, mm-hmm. the 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 experience and the knowledge that I've shared in the book, um, came from my own personal experience of shooting a video of uh my cousin, my brother in law, and I. You know, we were off roading this truck in Moab, and I'm capturing this film on my iPhone. Like throughout this two hour journey. And then I put this whole video together, posted on YouTube. And then he had shared it in his group where the same off roaders hung out. Mm-hmm. And the video gained, you know, 35,000 views. Mm. I'm like, this is really interesting. I mean, I just used my smartphone to edit and put all these things together. How is this? So there's a combination of things happening. Number one, there's something people can grasp and start watching. Number two, it was presented in a place where these people are already in that genre of experience. So Mm. when you talk about niching down, well, that's literally (laughs) niching down people who have a hundred series land cruiser from, you know, one specific series are going to this event. Well, they're going to go watch this video because that's what they drive.
0: Yeah, that's what they're into. Wow, cool. Um, all right, so the book is very technical, right? Is that fair to say? It's like here's here's a how to.
1: Yeah, so there's a lot of how to uh, in the second half of the book, but the first half of the book it's kind of a little, kind of a little background story on why I even got into it or how I got into it. So kind of like a little back journey, mm-hmm. backstory about Janaid mm-hmm. and cool. how he grew up, you know, learning about video, learning about tech, and what, uh, what inspired me to even get there.
0: Mm, okay. So let's, let's go into the book from a, uh, h- how does the book function in your, I'm going to assume business. So like, mm-hmm. so let's say, tell us a little bit about your business. What is your business model? Like, um, is this book, I, I don't think this book is like a fun side hustle hobby thing that you're doing. So it seems like a little bit more serious undertaking. Yeah. So what does that whole model look like?
1: So I love that question because one of the things that you mentioned in your uh, the pricing uh, Oh, the pricing course, seminar. Mm-hmm. The pricing seminar was productizing our services. So I think this is one level of productizing or not even that, but it's just so much easier to promote a book mm-hmm. than your own services yeah. because of the the value that you're delivering in such a, you know, the, the, the price that they have to pay. Mm-hmm. And I was, talking to my group and I was like, why is it so easy for me to promote my book, but not my services or a home studio mastery or podcast production? And they're like, well, because you're probably not valuing yourself or feeling worthy enough to push, you know, the same kind of effort on those other spaces. I was like, mm. wow, that is, that is really deep and <laughs> it's very, really interesting wow am i not worthy there's also the price point
0: i mean it's it's not that big of an ask well how much is the book
1: it's 12.99
0: yeah so it's not that big of an ask so you're not um you if you were char- if someone was charging like $12,000 for something they're making a pretty big promise mm-hmm. if you're charging $12 for something it's it's you know a thousand times easier yeah. to deliver positive roi and uh, and in a book is such a known quantity, you know, people know what a book is. They know what to expect yeah. and you know, a, some kind of an engagement where I don't know, you come to my house and set up my home studio or, or remotely tell me that's not a thing that it's nowhere near as popular as mm-hmm. like a book, you know, I probably have a yeah. thousand books right behind me. Sure. So I know what those are. I know what to expect. I know what the variations are. I know that $12 is a reasonable, reasonable price for a book. Uh, the, but these other things, they take a little bit more, they're hazier, they need more mm-hmm. clarification. So, I mean, it could, I'm sure it's a combination of things. I'm sure it's like, yeah, you know, what's the promise I'm making and, and is it going to be worth it? How much yeah. risk
1: is there? Right. Okay. So um, how long has the book been out? So the book's been out for about two weeks. Uh, we dropped it on January 21st of 2023. Mm-hmm. And it's done pretty good. Uh, we we got to you know, share it with my uh, other fellow podcasters at PodFest uh, this year. And um, I've been getting a lot of connections from people who've who've known me and who, you know, who see my journey. I'm like, wow, you've got a book out now. Mm-hmm. And, and I've been listening to your, your podcast with uh, Rochelle Moulton, the business of authority. Mm-hmm. And, you know, y- you mention a lot, you talk a lot about books in there. And now, five years ago, I didn't think I had a book in me, right? We, we all think, oh, I can never do that. But <laughs> when you surround yourself with people who inspire you and who encourage you and, and also your own journey in learning and getting better at asking questions or even, you know, our own internal struggles, I think all of those things come together to enable to create something like this. Great. So one one of the things that this, the book is doing for me and will enable it to um, teach people about who Junaid is and what I'm teaching. Mm-hmm. So when people book a call with me, do want to learn about uh, home studio or you know podcast production? They've already read my book. They already know who who I am and where I come from. So they feel you know that the connection on who Janet is, they, they kind of feel like they've known me for a while because I've been in their head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right.
0: Right. All right. So that's so it becomes like, uh, in addition to authority, like a trust builder or like a like a yeah. belief that this is the kind of person they're going to resonate with, that you're the kind of person they'll resonate with. And yeah. they, they can identify with something they feel like a connection. Cool. Yeah. So how uh, so presumably a book that's that's this specific, presumably it's not going to be, you know, a number one New York Times bestseller that, you know, like Atomic Habits or something, a million dollars. It's not the point, right? Right. So how do your, or it's, it's very soon, it's probably too soon to say, but I can imagine, like, but what is the plan? I can imagine what the plan is. So you, you offer some sort of services on top of this that are related to the book, right? And perhaps people who want help with it can hire you to do that sort of thing. What does that look like?
1: Yeah, so I I think this was more of an introductory into the world of Janade. Like, there's there's a few more books that are following this specific book. That they're that are going to be more constructed towards the services that I offer. Mm, okay. Right? So this is a this is a timeline in the timeline of Janade's happenings of what he's done. Right. This is what I did them in the past five six years and and where where it got me. And then the next book will be will be talking about the other aspect of what I got into and what enabled me to even get to the level of building home studio and teaching people home studios. So the goal is to just create content and just teach the the world what we've learned, because sometimes you, you know, you go, you go to bed thinking, oh, I wish I would have done that. So I'm trying to (laughs) eliminate that and like, okay, I've done this, 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 all right, I, I can sleep happy. (laughs) mmm <laughs> I'll see
0: check you out already planning multiple books so okay let's talk about the the kind of tactical aspects of the book production so what mm-hmm. did uh, pr- you could pretty much start anywhere I'm curious okay. first about the writing process how did you find the time to write once you knew what you wanted to write about how did you find the time to write how long did it take did you have? beta readers or an editor or anything like that. Let's talk about the writing process for a second.
1: Absolutely, so this actually comes, this actually happens in, so because of the the experience that I shared or you know how I did the video, I was like, okay, I know the basics, I know all of this stuff. And back in 2018, my friend asked me, hey, uh, I showed up to this LinkedIn event and I was walking around with a gimbal and my smartphone on it, recording video content. It's like and he asked me, uh, Janaid, would you mind speaking at the next event on how to create content with your smartphone? I was like, sure, I can do that. So I went to work and I started writing down all the basics of the essentials, you know, all the things that are involved in creating good video content, creating good video. So I kind of had a PowerPoint presentation or, you know, kind of an outline of, hey, this is all the stuff that you need to know. And as I curated this content as I put this stuff together, it started coming to me and I was like, okay, let's sit down and really talk about what all goes into it. So I sat down and lots of recordings, lots of transcriptions Mm -hmm. later, I had a lot of content that I can say, okay, let's clean this up. So in it initially it was this was actually a chapter that was going to go in a book that ended up not getting published. And so earlier this year, I was like, "Hey, what if we turn it into a book?" And I asked my friend, who who is an expert in self publishing, "It's like, hey, we can turn this into a book of this sort, like a a photography book, or or a book where there's pictures and illustrations." I'm like, hey, that's a pretty cool idea. It's a, it's a light read. It's not too complicated. So we started working together and did a lot of um, you know juggling around the text, making sure it's it's concise. So. I didn't really have a whole bunch of beta readers for the book, but I did um, had a really good editor that helped me concise, uh, you know, put the information together and have the timeline straight. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, something so, that yeah, sorry, go
1: ahead. Something that you probably noticed is I'm always going back and telling a story about what I did. <laughs> and I ended up doing the same thing when I was writing the book. I was like, I want to give the people a peek into how I... You know why would anybody even do this or how they got into it because i'm i just love the how and the stories that goes behind it and ended up putting that into the book as well
0: mm. so uh so there are a lot of illustrations and photos and so forth inside the yes. book mm, that's mm-hmm. that's uh that seems very challenging so but your you said your friend uh, has experience with such a thing or did did
1: Yes. So my friend has experience with editing the content of the book. So making sure it's sound, making sure it's good. And then we're living in a world of AI right now. So I was, I was, you know, competent enough to learn and and implement uh, prompts uh, with MidJourney to create illustrations for each of the chapter section.
0: Wow. That's rad. First person I've talked to is who's gotten Mid Journey Stable Diffusion uh, illustrations into a book. That was fast. Um, okay, so just just to paint people a picture, like um, how long is the book at this point? Is it? it...
1: So the book is short. It's about seventy pages. Um, okay. Very light. I mean, the text is pretty big. It almost looks like a children's book, mm-hmm. but it's got you know it's got good information. And I in fact had my twelve year old son, almost thirteen, go through the book, and he. Gave me a whole bunch of notes. Okay, fix this, fix this, fix this, <laughs> which is really cool to see all the time. Um, so yeah, it's it's a very light read and it goes over the basics of hey, think about all these things because when I took my Hollywood camera course, I never watched TV the same again hmm. because I'm looking at the different camera angles, I'm looking at the shots that they're using, um, the back and forth. Oh, they're using the over shoulder camera. Oh, you know, I'm thinking about all those things. So. I wanted to enable that same type of thinking for my readers, so that's that's uh, uh that's what's in the book.
0: Got it. Yeah, that's a, to me that's a selling point. I, I don't need a Bible on it. I just want enough to get get going, mm-hmm. improve things enough so that you know feel I feel more confident about the, whatever the presentation. Yeah. Uh, okay, so what? Tell us a little bit about the. The self-publishing process so once you had the material written you felt like it was in a form that it was uh, that you liked mm-hmm. um, what did you have like a PDF or something what was the yes okay So
1: we created a PDF out of all the text uh, we we had you know we used Google uh, Docs to collaborate with the between all the text I, I would drop the images in there and they would you know then grab it and then uh, I think one of the designers helped format the book and he, picked the right text for it mm-hmm. and created the PDF for mm-hmm. that document which which we were then able to upload over to KDP and, okay mm-hmm.
0: and is it available as a physical print? yes so okay. it's
1: available as a printed as well as a, a Kindle a Kindle book
0: cool and uh, do the do the does it translate into Kindle wells like a, the yes so oh. what
1: we did is um we created a Kindle specific version and a we printed book versions, so oh, that it okay. will it will fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it shows up good on both formats.
0: Nice, cool. And what was your experience with um, the the sort of the KDP process? You know, a lot of people listening maybe like you, aren't sure they have a book in them, but they believe that it would be a smart thing, a good thing for their business, yeah. and are kind of overwhelmed by all of the, you know, like, uh, ISBN and different for this, and I need to pay, you know, internal layout and a cover, how am I gonna do a cover, all of these yeah. things. So I'm sure there were a million little details. What was your experience like of of kind of herding all of those cats and ticking all those boxes at the end to, to get it uploaded and, and completed?
1: Absolutely, Jonathan, that's an excellent question. Now, as I mentioned earlier, my background is in user experience design. I've been doing graphic design and publications for a long time. So understanding all of the things that KDP talked about was pretty straightforward. In fact, uh, I had published a book for my son back in 2021. Uh, It's a small children's book. So I had to go through the same process Mm. and figuring out all, all of the, okay, the cover needs to be this one. They need the thickness of the book because you have this many pages and based on that. And you can technically, when you sign up on uh, on KDP with your own Amazon account, you can. they'll literally give you templates. They'll literally let you download a PDF template for you to know, okay, I have 120 pages in my PDF book. It's gonna have this thick of a spine. So when you're designing the cover, you need to look at all of these things. And I don't know how many of the listeners are designers, right? So it's always mm-hmm. good to have a designer in your pocket and like, hey, I need to have this cover design. Can you help me out? And uh, there's a lot of support available like anywhere you look.
0: Mm, cool. So yeah, I've got a few students who are going or sort of approaching the end of the of a serious first draft of more business business type book. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're all like juggling all of these different different sort of to-dos it's like a big long list of to-dos for all the the different things and i feel like the trying to think if there are any exceptions here pretty much everybody has someone helping with design and someone helping with editing yeah and having and and in my past having done both like traditional publishing with like multiple editors for a single book Mm -hmm. you know like a, a sort of high level editor senior editor and then like technical editors and all of just so many such a big team of people yeah. doing all of, you know the cover and all of that stuff uh it it really if you can afford to hire someone to help with uh sort of editorial concerns and with you know the design concerns like interior layout the cover all of that stuff it, it's mm. you know the prices are probably range wildly but but getting yeah. some help with that i think is a really good investment No, was it were these all was were these all sort of friends of your friend or did you look for people did you source you know designers somewhere how did you find people to help you with
1: it so my friend you know he's been helping self-publish um a lot of the authors around his uh around his space he's got a business around it and i just happened to be in his mastermind ah. so i was like hey i need I want to do this. I'm thinking of this as an idea, and he's like, "Hey, let's work together." And literally, from I, I looked up the chapter that I had written back in 2019, and I was like, "Hey, here's the chapter," and I shared the the Google Doc with him. Within two weeks, we had the book up on KDP.
0: That's crazy. So was because... the I mean, was the chapter basically all of the the material, and you needed to augment it with yeah illustrations?
1: So the chapter was a small chapter part of a larger book. So it was like 15 collaborators in this book. Mm -hmm. So there was 70, uh, 70, 60 pages uh, of, actually, no, it was a lot less pages, probably 3,500 words. Mm -hmm. So that's why we went with the route of having illustrations in the book, because it it comes out to be a much, you know, much more substantial as opposed to be a thin book that's like just text. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of different things that we experimented in figuring, okay, how can this have a much uh, broader feel and, and a much more expensive feel? Mm. And he's got a team of editors. Um, I mean, he's an editor himself. His wife is an editor, and then they brought in a designer that works with them on all of their books.
0: Cool. Wow, that's super convenient. Yes. Um, interesting. So, so how long? I want to I want to revisit the the writing aspect though. So. Sure. So it was two weeks from from this conversation to having it up on KDP, which is very fast. But you didn't; write, you had previously written it.
1: I had previously written it exactly. And
0: yeah. what was that writing experience like? Was that was that what you did based on the talk that you gave? Is so something you put together and fleshed out based on the talk? Is that what you were? It saying was. Before? It was
1: based on the talk. It was based on a lot of the conversations that I have having. I I read a lot of material. I read a lot of stuff because I. I mean, I had all of this information in my head. I mean, I've taken a ton of courses on video production when I got into video production 10 years ago or 12 years ago, and I wanted to make sure that I bring the information that's most appropriate for somebody using a smartphone. Mm-hmm. And because you don't have the capacity to be carrying a lot of tripods, a lot of light stands, you know, you want to make sure that you make the environment work for you. Mm. And the beautiful part about the smartphones that we now have they're so much better at low light photography they're so much better and they're going to continue to get better and better That so much so that i mean they 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 they've got samsung cameras recording 8k content <laughs> so all of this is to say that lighting and good audio is still something that you want to pay attention to when you're creating content so the the writing experience was a lot of the collaboration and Learning and putting it down on paper, either via te- via voice or via text, you know, I put the voice down and then I'm like, okay, let's clean this up and I would go back over. And that probably took me a good month and a half to two months, maybe even longer because things keep changing, you know, stuff keeps evolving and I want to make sure that the story is concise and it's, it's, it stands to the test of time.
0: Mm, cool. That's an interesting that's an interesting approach. It sounds like you sort of spoke the book and then yes. edited the transcription. That's pretty wild. Um, I actually have someone else who who used a similar workflow recently, where she had like a basically a course series. It was like a series of workshops that all held, you know, were for the same kind of person to go through different phases of yeah. business development and we were talking about writing a book and i'm like well the material is probably all in your courses like it's probably what you're teaching and she's like oh you're right that is yes mm-hmm. that is what i was going to write and i'm like well yeah. you have a, a you know uh, like a, an assistant uh who has editorial s- type skills it's like what would happen if you got them transcribed like I, sometimes people like i just interrupted myself in the middle of a thought like sometimes mm-hmm. when you're talking it's not as smooth as it would be writing and, and maybe yeah. the editing process could be more work than it's worth, but it's yeah. it's a the the sort of automated transcript capabilities that now are basically free uh, anywhere mm. you can get anywhere. It I, I wonder how much of a game changer that's going to be for book writing. How many people are going to be able to just take existing content that they can speak relatively easily, yeah, and use that as the source material for a written work, I, I, it's a, a jury's out with me. I'm not sure, but it sounds like it worked for you. I don't know if it's, if it's something that, that I would recommend broadly yet, but it right. is a very interesting tactic.
1: What, so this is my third, third attempt at, at writing a book from, you know, audio. Um, one of the other reasons that, that I like it is I can talk 200 to 300 words per minute faster than I can type. Mm-hmm. And yes, there's a lot of double clutching. There's a lot of <laughs> right. ums and ahs, and there's a lot of pauses, or there's there's a lot of repeating the same words. But something that I've learned over the years was to control the words that I say. And, and as a, as podcasters, we spend a lot of time automatically muting the ums and ahs that we would say. And thank God that I stepped into uh, Toastmasters back in 2016, that helped <laughs> me a lot. <laughs> and then you know, having experience in interviewing over 400 people on my own podcast was a, another uh, game changer. So there's there's a lot of self-work that you do have to put in to be able to write a book without writing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that's a, that's a really good
0: point. There's a certain performance aspect to podcasting, even if you're going to edit it after that, I, I sometimes say, you know, the best way to, to stop saying um all the time is to edit your own podcast for a couple of months. And you are be yes. like, oh, this is... I mean, now Descript can just pull them out automatically. But it, yes, used, to be it you had to, used to be you had to like go through and cut out every one. And mm-hmm. after a while, you're like, I'm just going to leave a space there instead of saying um. And it makes your life a lot easier.
1: So much easier.
0: But yeah, if you do... See now to pulling it back to my world specifically uh, i work with a lot of expertise-based businesses a lot of soloists and and speaking is one of the things that you need to do to spread your you know build your authority spread your message and get your story out there it's just really really hard to do without speaking speaking and Mm -hmm. writing speaking and writing so you should be getting better at speaking anyway. I think having a podcast is a great way to get better at for a million reasons. There's, there's uh, a podcast is a good thing to have, mm-hmm. but one of the things is it helps you get better at organizing your thoughts before they come out of your mouth. And if you can, if you're getting good at that anyway. And you've got a sort of curriculum of material that you normally teach, or maybe it's a series of webinars or talks that you give at conferences or or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a fascinating approach to kind of skipping over that blinking cursor, like, oh, this feels like so much work, typey, typey, yeah. typey, typey type, typing. And and there's something about I think if you if you do feel like an expert of what you do, dear listener, it can feel like a really clogged bottleneck to have, to have that information that you can just say so easily, have to go through your fingers. Yeah. You know, it just feels really slow, painstaking, takes forever. You're going back over and perfecting every paragraph while you're trying to write when you could just like stand up in front of an audience and speak for 60 minutes. And that's probably 10,000 words right there. Yes, it is. Cool. So this has been super helpful. Uh, I am, I haven't bought the book yet but I'm going to I happen to be in the process of setting up a new office that really I almost don't want to call it an office I want to call it more of a studio Mm -hmm. and and right now I'm in the process of it's very square flat walls and empty Mm -hmm. so it's real echoey so I'm in the process of of doing all the sound dampening but I also need to get my light my light game in order Mm -hmm. so I I will be uh, picking up the book as soon as we hang up here uh, where can people go to find out more about what you're doing? Maybe get some, uh, maybe buy the book, maybe find out what else you're working on.
1: Uh, so they can learn more about me over at supergenade.com. And if they want to learn about a home studio aspect of thing, they can head on over to homestudiomastery.com. I'm actually doing a five-day challenge in March. Cool. And I'll be doing these um, pretty often. We're calling it the home studio rehab to help you understand what it takes to build out a great studio. And I've got my awesome podcast, hacksandhobbies.com where Jonathan, you were a guest a few years ago.
0: (laughs) Oh, wow, thanks for the reminder. Cool, well, all right folks, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark, and I hope you join me again next time for Ditching Hourly. Bye.